that works now. That's great. So um, I'd just like to start with a, a short announcement. We have just noticed that actually on the schedule it's not clearly written that uh, at 2 o'clock there will be every day a guided meditation. And because we are now you know, on the second full day of the retreat, we think you know it's uh, now time to, that everybody comes at least you know for all of the uh, in session with instruction, which is like at eight uh, fifteen in the morning is is a dharma reflection, and then at two p.m. is a guided meditation. I have edited now with you know up at the schedule out there, and in the evening at seven fifteen is always like a talk or. A, Q and R. So that's the three instruction sessions per day, and we would really like you to be there for that and as much as you can for everything else, because we had now like a bit more than two days to take it a bit easy. Yeah. And uh, up in the antenna. Relatively easy, let's say. <laughs> Just getting up at uh, being at breakfast for seven. For us, six o'clock is it's a nice late start. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and uh, and because there hadn't been everybody here too, I would like to repeat one more time about the masking. You know, when you need to to drink or, or blow your nose or so to make sure you know you put on your mask really as quick as you can and not kind of linger without because there is some of us who has you know, had a lot of uh, losses you know now in this pandemic and for some it's nothing much has happened so there's such a wide spectrum of of um, you know relationship with what's going on and we'd like to you know make a safe space so that everybody can really relax and feel part of this group so please let's make that part of our practice to to be mindful around that and and to try to have the mask on as all times when we are inside the building thank you even it might be you know sometimes a bit annoying or so but that's just the only way how we can make this retreat happen Thank you. So I'm going to be, we're going to be chanting the um, 13 Arahant Bhikkhunis chant again tonight. And you're welcome to read along in Pali or in English. And uh, it's this invocation, it says uh, at the end of each little stanza, it says, may the power of her qualities always be a blessing to us. And I always like to think of that us as, you know, that us can be as big as you like. So I like to include all beings in the us. And uh, as we chant, just inviting you to align your hearts with the, the qualities of these women and the fact that they were fully realized, awakened. And they were, you know, each of them is foremost in a particular quality. So they're just one of many who have those qualities but they are foremost in that quality so just to kind of align the, the heart and mind with the um, in a way the kind of abundant abundance of awakened women who were 
uh, around in the Buddha's time. They say that there were, there's a number of times it's mentioned 500 enlightened women here and 500 there. And so there, it was a lot. And uh, these days we don't have the Buddha in person, so we're a little bit more hard work for us, but let's keep going anyway. Ratanyunang pikuni nang gotami jinamatucha tapita agatanam hisata soting karotuno mahapanyanang agata kema teriti pakata Savika Buddha Seta Sasata Soting Karotuno Teri Upalavana Chaitimantina Muttama Savika Buddha Seta Sasata Soting Karotuno Vinyayatari nanga kapata charati visuta tapita agatanam hisata soting karotuno tamakati kanang pavaradamadinatinamika Tapita agatanam hisata soting karotuno Chaikanang pikuni nang nanda teriti namasa Angatanatita ahusata soting karotuno Arata viriyanang agasona teritinamika Tapita tatatanam hisada soting karotuno Dibachakukang agasakula itivisuta Visudanayana sapisata soting karotuno Kundala kesipikuni kipabinyana muttama Tapita yevatanam hisata soting karotuno Teripada kapilani bubacati namanusari Tasangyeva pikuninang satasoting karotuno Teritubada kachana mahabinyanam utama Chinena sukatukang sasata soting karotuno Lukachivaratarinang agakisapikotami Tapita agatanam hisata soting karotuno 
สิกาลมาตาภิกุณิสัตตาดิมุตานัมอุตมาคารุตุโนมหาสันติอารุกยันชัสุขังสัตตาอนยาภิกุณิโอสัปนานากุณตาราบหูพาลินตุโนสัพพายาโสคารุกาติสัมปวะโสตปานาตาโยเสกสัตตาปัญญาสิลาติกาปากโสเคเลสัตหานาสัตสุติคารุตุโนเราจะสิทธิ์ประมาณ35นาทีแล้วไอซ์ส์จะจัดการให้เราได้รับการพิจารณา
so if if you would like to stretch your legs or get ready for the talk for a few minutes. So, I think the microphone works now, hmm? Okay, thank you. So, this morning, or no, it was this afternoon actually, I was uh, giving a guided meditation on the elements. And, uh, you know, this guided meditation on the elements brings home to us the concept of anatta, or a not-self, or also emptiness, and you know, as we as we can experience directly in that guided meditation, it's not a nothingness, this body, but this meditation just shows us there is no real permanent separate entity which we can call a self because the body is in constant exchange with the planet Earth, really, with and through that with the whole universe. And uh, we never cut the umbilical cord to the planet. And you know, seeing that so clearly in the meditation, for me at least, you know, it really opens up a wide vista of, of seeing you know, this body and, and this existence in a, in a very different way. And I think this, this shift, you know, which we can uh, start to get glimpses of. That's exactly the shift I think we all have to make as, as a species, really, in order to continue living here in the, on this planet. By really uh, living here in a way as if we would be this planet, because we are. And of course, you know, it's not so easy to bring that down from the head in, into the whole being. And, and the meditation, um, different meditation tools are here, you know, in order to work with our minds so that they become sensitized to 
more clearly understand Is it working now? No. It's again stopped working. Is it? Because I feel like when I move, there's something changes and I, I'm going to move. <laughs> So, you know, that this, this body of ours is, is not a nothingness because it, it, it truly does exist. I can see all of your bodies sitting there and you can see us. So we do exist. But we exist in a different way than what we think we exist. And, and this meditation is designed, and actually all of the meditation, to strip away these emotional and cognitive filters which we tend to project onto our experience, and then we really experience what we think is there, what we expect to be there. So, you know, for example, when we go into a room, like go to a certain, meet a certain person, you know, for the first time, and then we see, like, certain things, the clothing and, and the you know, the hairstyle and, and certain kind of body language and all kinds of things. And then we have, very quickly, we can have a very fixed idea about who that person is. So, you know, that's just a, an example how that process happened. That, that we, you know, thoughts, emotion, feelings, and so on, that channel our images into a positional view and then we tend to experience what we expect. And through the different meditation tools, we start to, to strip away those filters. Not kind of by force, because that's not possible, but, but through insight and through direct experience. Suddenly, something dawns on us, you know, like a window is opened up. We have never seen even before that there's a window. And suddenly, wow, it's all very, very different. And for me, you know, this um, meditation on the elements is, is such a very powerful tool, which I think is very timely right now, you know, to be used in order to help us to make this shift. And, uh, you know, in the scriptures, there is, uh, the Buddha says, you know, I do not teach that things exist or do not exist. I teach dependent origination. So the Buddha doesn't say, you know, this body is exists or this body doesn't exist, but through the tools of the meditation we start to understand this body exists, yes, but it exists in a very different way than what we usually think it does exist. And then we start to see, yeah, there's a dependent origination. It depends on so many, 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 many things coming together. We can't even, you know, list them all. And, and that insight, you know, helps us to free the mind from these filters and open ever more up to to start to understand that this body is really empty of a self, empty of a permanent self. 
And then, you know, we start to also understand that sentence, form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. Because we start to understand, you know, the forms are like the, the waves on the top of the ocean. They just come and go, come and go. But none of those forms is permanent. Just like these bodies of ours. I think it's a very profound truth which needs to be seen, you know, for many, many times. Those little glimpses and then it starts to add up. We start to get more confidence in... allowing that to, to inform our lives. Because also we start you know, feeling a, a sense of enrichment can also come from that, that sense of that wonder of belonging, you know, how all of that actually does exist in, in a way which is very hard to put your finger on it. It can't be nailed down, it can't be fixed, but we can get like... We can get like a, a sense of it, you know, an intuition. It's a very subtle knowing. And in order, you know, to be able to connect with that subtle knowing, we have to work with our minds and to um, sense it as our minds so that our minds are able to actually connect with that subtle truth, which is, you know, always there, but if the mind is very coarse and, uh, you know, very um, stuck in conditioning, it can't really connect with that, which is constantly happening just in front of our eyes all the time. And, you know, in the light of that, I wanted to, tonight, wanted to speak about the seven factors of awakening because, you know, the seven factors of awakening is one way how we can... Uh, explain, you know, how the mind can become sensitized and powerful enough so that it can recognize what I was just speaking about. And I've brought also, again, another of our awakening poems. And tonight it's a poem by Bikuni Chenta. And uh, first, you know, read the original from the scriptures. First, uh, a translation by Bante Suchato, an Australian monk. And he says, well, he says that Chenta says. Oh, first, actually, I should say who she is a little bit. So Bikuni Chenta was, of course, I'm not 100% sure if that's really true, but I've heard that from the commentaries. Bikuni Chenta uh, was the daughter of, uh, of a family of the Lichavis tribe, and she was considered to be very beautiful and also very conceited because of her beauty. And many, many, you know, suttas wanted to marry her, and that became a real problem for her parents. So in order to not offend anyone, they just said, just become a nun, you know, and get, get out of all of that stuff. Because they got a bit scared, you know, what what it would mean to their family if they decide for, for one sutta. So she, she went and uh, joined the, the Order of Bikunis. And, you know, and if the, even after she uh, joined the Order of Bikunis, she avoided to go into the Buddha's presence, they say, 
because she knew that she was very, you know, infatuated with her own beauty, and she was afraid that the uh, the Buddha would notice that when she is in his presence, because he was known for being able, you know, to read minds. <laughs> and then, and the Buddha knew that, of course, because he could read minds. And then. <laughs> He wanted, you know, he wanted to teach her. So he said, because he knew she wouldn't come, he said to Mahapachapati that she should, uh, you know, order all of the nuns to come to see him one by one. And then when it was uh, Chanta's turn, she sent somebody else, you know, because she didn't want to go. (laughs) And then when the Buddha saw that he, he didn't accept it, he said, no, she has to come. And then, and then she, so he insisted, and then she came. And then, and then what the Buddha did with his psychic powers, he conjured up a beautiful woman, a vision of a beautiful woman, and showed uh, Chanta, you know, how that woman, that beautiful vision became old and, and, you know, and started to kind of fall apart. And that was, uh, you know, a big shock to her and really woke her up. And then she started to, uh, you know, meditate on that and, and, became fully awakened. So the Buddha, you know, that was the great skill of the Buddha. He knew exactly, you know, what to apply in order to uh, wake someone up. And uh, he didn't shy away, you know, from using all of his skills to drive that home, you know, the truth of impermanence and, you know, that there is no resting place in samsara. So and that's the poem then which she said after her awakening. So first, Bhante Suchato, Chenta. Of the seven awakening factors, the path for attaining extinguishment, I have developed them all, just as the Buddha taught. For I, for I have seen the Blessed One, and this bag of bones is my last. Transmigration through births is finished. Now there will be no more future lives. That is how these verses were recited by the senior nun Chenta. And then a second one by Ayasoma, who is an Italian bhikkhuni. Verses of the elder Chenta. These seven factors of enlightenment are the path for attaining nirvana. I have developed all of them as taught by the Buddha. I have seen the Magnificent One. This is my last body. Destroyed is rebirth in samsara. Now there is no coming back to any state of being. Thus Chanta the Elder spoke these verses. And then I also have the uh, free reimagination by Mary here. That's not a literal translation, but a different approach. And it goes like this. Chenta, conqueror. I was forever getting lost until one day the Buddha told me, to walk this path, you will need seven friends. Mindfulness, curiosity, courage, joy, calm, stillness, and perspective. For many years, these friends and I have traveled together. 
sometimes wandering in circles, sometimes taking the long way around. There were days when I thought I couldn't go on. There were days when I thought I was finally beaten. It's scary to give all of yourself to just one thing. What if you don't make it? Oh my heart, you don't have to go it alone. Train yourself to train just a little more gently. So that's the seven friends I want to speak about tonight. The seven factors of awakening. And uh, there's also a quote in the Anguttara Nikaya which I want to follow up with, which uh, puts the seven factors of awakening, you know, very much into the center of our practice. And it goes like this: Whosoever is emancipated from the world does so by removing the five hindrances, firmly establishing the mind in the four establishments of mindfulness and cultivating the seven factors of awakening. So removing the hindrances, then on the five hindrances are greed, that is sensual desire, correct, anger, sloth and topor, restlessness and worry and doubt. So those five hindrances they're going to get temporarily removed if we steal the mind. And then, you know, applying the mind to the four establishments of mindfulness, the four satipatthana. And through that, we are cultivating the seven factors of awakening, which then, you know, sensitize and strengthen the mind to the degree so that we can see ever more clearly and these mental conditions, they are conducive for realization, but also for any type of mundane knowledge, really. Even if we learn any other skills, you know, even just you know, being able to put a, a, a key into a keyhole and, and open it up, you need those qualities. You, know? you need to apply yourself. You need to know what you want to do. You need to have the mindfulness. You need to have the focus. So it's, it's, it's a very basic way of applying the mind, but then at the same time it can't be completely um, cultivated to, to up to full awakening. And those, those seven factors of awakening, the, the first one, the foundation is mindfulness, sati in the Pali language. And then the next factor is a Dhamma Vichaya, investigation of Dhamma, or sometimes also translated as interest, you know, taking an interest in, in your experience or taking an interest in the keyhole, where is it? And then the next factor is through that interest, energy is aroused, virya. So in order, you know, to stay with what interests you, you need some energy. And, and part of the energy is something we are putting in, and part of the energy is something which just arises through the interest. And then uh, if there is some energy, a reason, and things start to kind of flow, that brings up a sense of joy. 
So that's the next uh, of the awakening factors. Number four, PT, it's called in the Pali language. And those three, investigation, energy and joy, they are energizing. And once, you know, we have come to the joy, then there is a sense of enrichment again, you know, and the mind starts to become tranquil or calm. This is the next factor, Pasadi. And then if the mind is tranquil and calm, it starts to become more stable, focused, collected, samadhi. That's the sixth one. And then the mind which is collected and focused, you know, can see things in perspective, can see uh, the connection between things, and that seeing is bringing the next factor, which is upeka or equipoise, balance. And then, you know, if the mind is balanced and has equilibrium, then it's also capable for more sati, more mindfulness, more awareness. So, and then it starts again. And if there then yes, there's more clear seeing there, there's more interest aroused, and then energy comes up, joy. So it's, it's like a spiral, you know, which goes ever deeper into reality, we can say. And there's ever more clear seeing, where we are kind of, you know, through repetition, kind of penetrating those emotional and cognitive filters, which keeps us caught in the past, which keeps us caught in conditioning. And, you know, those seven factors of awakening is one list from the countless lists of these teachings of the Buddha, because, you know, it was an oral teaching for several hundred years, so it has been laid down in that manner for memory. And there are several lists, you know, which we can uh, use as, as a way to understand what needs to be cultivated and what's the fruit of that cultivation. And how does it come about? It comes about through applying the mind in these four foundations of mindfulness or four um, establishments of mindfulness is a more correct translation. And these are specifically designed methods to explore and experience the natural forces which work through us. So we are, we are learning, you know, through the guidance of this teaching, we are learning to pay attention to very specific features of our experience which usually escape our awareness because, you know, we, we are not trained that way from our, our upbringing. We are more trained to look at, you know, what we want and what we don't want. And we want more pleasant things and we want less unpleasant things. And all of that, that's our main training. But once, you know, we are starting to um, apply ourselves to this teaching, then that has to shift, you know. And one of the most radical things in, in the practice is to take apart the that pleasant things are good and unpleasant things are bad. That is one very powerful, you know, kind of um, pairs, you know, which we just 
out of social preference and out of social conditioning that is just very deeply ingrained in us. And I think we can all see that in the meditation, you know, if there is some unpleasant feeling in the body, unpleasant energy experiences, we tend to split them off, you know, into the mind and then we go into thinking because somehow we feel not okay with unpleasant feeling because there's somehow a, a certain amount of thinking there's something wrong. And sometimes it can be, you know, if, if we have some kind of, you know, an appendix burst or something, certainly something, <laughs> we need to do something about that. But it's not always like that. So it, it's worth, you know, um, to sometimes really stay with it and uh, allow that openness to, you know, allow that openness to be there and, and allow for something new to emerge out of, out of that. But if we are caught in, in these old conditioned ways of relating to it, then we just always want to kind of get rid of it. And there is no chance for transformation, really because it gets aborted too quickly. We want to get rid of it. We want to, you know, nail it down, fix it, put it, in a, uh, put it away. And, and that's uh, the seven factors of awakening, you know, tra- uh, training the mind in this way is uh, helping us to be able to, to not interfere so f- quickly all the time, you know. And uh, just want to go a little bit through those four establishments of mindfulness. The first one is, is Kaya, body. And today, you know, when we did the elements meditation, it was a, a meditation out of that, uh, the, first fun, uh, the first establishment of mindfulness body. And it's the somatic experience in the body, which we can, you know, anytime we are remembering it, we can come back to it. And then the next one is uh, feeling tones, Vedana. This is the effect, affective experience. So, for example, you know, I'm sitting here and first um, establishment of mindfulness, I can feel my body, you know, sitting here on the cushion. And then I can see some of my, my, my belt, I can feel it. And, you know, I can just have quite a few sensations which I can be aware of. And then there's some part of my body is a bit of an unpleasant feeling at the moment. And I can know that, you know, and then I can make a decision if I need to do something about it or if I can just let it be there. And then the next establishment is, is the mind. This is the cognitive experience. So there can be, you know, the mind with greed or a mind with desire, a mind with aversion or without aversion, and a mind which is deluded and distracted. I I can know that if I turn my awareness towards it. And then the fourth establishment of mindfulness is um, the contemplation of 
dharmas or mind objects and that relates all of the previous three to conditionality that we start to understand that they are all conditioned and all of those experiences in the first three um, establishments of mindfulness they all are impermanent they all are unsatisfactory or dukkha how it's said in the Pali language and they all are empty of a self or not self they are nata and you know if we bring the mind again and again you know back to these direct experiences you know lifting the mind out from the patterns of just like adding commentary onto our experience and coming back to the direct experience then that trains the mind you know and and what gets trained it's exactly those seven factors of awakening which getting uh, more and more powerful and through that uh, those becoming more and more powerful the mind gets more and more sensitized to reality because it's capable you know of discerning and through the training of those seven factors of enlightenment that capacity for discernment becomes ever stronger and it's not you know not only like an intellectual kind of discernment but also like an intuitive kind of discernment and then you know the life you know just starts to open up and we can you know we can uh, allow life to speak for itself and we can we can hear it and we can see it because our mind has has been sensitized and that what was previously hidden is suddenly we can see it because it was always hidden in plain sight there it, there is no secret you know it's just it depends on the on the quality of the mind on the capacities of the mind So that's that's a real it's a natural progression you know starting with mindfulness and then you know taking an interest arousing energy and then you know if 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 the process starts to kind of take off then there's a sense of joy and then if the mind feels enriched it starts to calm down and then if the mind starts to calm down it becomes collected and stable is able to focus and then the mind which is able to focus can see a wider perspective and through that you know through seeing the connections uh insight in the conditioned nature of all experience starts to dawn on us and that is freeing and then then if the mind is freed you know from certain projections and old 
conditionings, then there's more capacity again for awareness and mindfulness. And that's how this process, you know, is, is an ongoing project until full awakening. And then, you know, the way things are starts to dawn on us, so to say, through the mind being more and more able to see clearly. And then, you know, if we go home, let's say after this retreat, we go home hopefully with less filters. We are not going to go home with more, but we go home with less. That's, that's how I see what the aim of the practice is, if there's any. You know, leave, leave, leave a few filters behind here when you leave. That would be wonderful. Because it's not, you know, uh, it's not a um, heaping up of more knowledge, but it's more like a, a fine-tuning of the mind and a different way of seeing which we would like to uh, cultivate. So I'm going to read that quote one more time from the Anguttara Nikaya. Whosoever is emancipated from the world does so by removing the five hindrances, firmly establishing the mind in the four establishments of mindfulness and cultivating the seven factors of awakening. And that's you know, one of the real early teachings of the Buddha, the core Buddhist teaching, very ancient teaching. And, you know, it has not lost of any of its power. And we need to start where we are and, you know, start to kind of open up this tangle of assumptions which we tend to project. And through that, you know, we start to liberate the mind. Like if you, you know, if you've walked with, with shoes which are too tight, you know, for a whole afternoon through, the, through town and then you come home and you take off the shoe and ah, it's that kind of a feeling. You know, like liberating the mind from a very tight kind of prison. And simply by, by paying attention to particular features of our experience which we normally don't pay attention to if we don't have the, the guidance. And, and the paying attention happens in those four establishments of mindfulness, body, feeling tones, mind states, and dharmas. And that paying attention to what's really happening not what we are thinking that is happening. That's what is liberating. And at the same time, through this paying attention, the mind becomes more powerful and sensitized. So that's you know, a little overview about what we are doing. And, you know, and really understanding that the 
the dukkha, the unsatisfactoriness, is not like an innate part of anything, but it is a result of our expectations. Because if we have certain expectations which cannot be fulfilled, because that's not how the world works, then we'll always end up with a sense of disappointment, a sense of loss, a sense of something is not working. But then if we are trusting our minds to what's really happening, then that sense of dukkha becomes less and less. And, uh, you know, what is said in the scriptures is the most uh, important internal support for cultivating the seven factors of awakening is wise attention, you know, in the Noble Eightfold Path, practicing wise attention. And the most uh, important external factor would be wise friends, to stay with people who are also practicing, just as what we are doing now. So, and then, you know, that, that kind of practice opens up new perspectives. And, you know, and let's go leave behind old way of seeing things. And, you know, to come back one more time, what we did this afternoon, the meditation on the on the elements, that's such a, an experience where suddenly, wow, you know, I never looked at my body in this way. And suddenly here it is. There's many more things we can see. So thank you so much for listening and uh, Wish you a good night. And also we want to share the merit of our practice today with all of the beings on the table out there in the walking hall and, and all beings.